Yo, 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 it's X, and welcome to What's Out Media Group. Today we got Corey and Jalen as our co-host, and today we have a pretty cool guy. He's hooked me up. I appreciate him without a doubt, uh, Arshay Cooper. Uh, Corey, how are you doing today, man? Doing good. Jalen, how are you? Doing fantastic, thank you. And Arshay, how are you doing, man? Good, man. It's Sunday morning, so easy day. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Uh, so what have you been up to recently, Arshay? Recently, man. Oh, what have I not been up to? Uh, it's, it's been good, man. Running this uh, occlusion fund. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, but from I'm telling you, from September till December, we introduced over 2000 kids to the sport of rowing, which is wow. insane. We've been we we've been on the ground running. I am uh, working on a, a second book. Not a lot of people know that. So um, you can you know, it's now, you know, uh, which, which is awesome. It's more of a motivation book and on how to use the tools you learn, the tools you learn from sports um, in your everyday life, uh, in your community, your career, with your family. Uh, so um, excited for that. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, just been on doing a lot of motivational speaking, man. Very nice. Very nice. So uh, we'll get it started. I've got the first question. Uh, what was your upbringing like and what was Chicago like at the time of your upbringing? Yeah. So grew up in the uh, 80s, 90s in Chicago. You know, it's it's definitely, you know, you, a lot of people hear about the things that happen in Chicago. And for me, I grew up in a neighborhood that you hear about, right? A community that, um, you know, that I would say that talent, the talent is everywhere, but the access and opportunity is not, right? And when the opportunity presents itself, there's so many systemic obstacles. Sometimes it's it, it's hard to, to follow through. And I think it's because of the some of the trauma that we faced growing up in Chicago. I you know, heard gunshots when I slept all the time. I, I, I've skipped over pools of blood. I, I've, I've ran from my life. I got chased a lot and, uh, and I lost a lot of friends and, and teammates. And, um, you know, and so when you go to school and, and, and you have 30 other kids in your classroom that face the same thing, math, reading, that stuff is out the door. You know what I mean? Because you're thinking about survival, right? Um, and, and, and sometimes... You know, we we want change and we want impact, but there's no resources to it. I mean, 800 kids and one social worker in the school, right? And I think that just to break it down a little bit more, whenever there's a mass shooting at a suburban school, right away they send in trauma counselors, which they should to help you unsee what you saw. But we saw it every day, and there was no one, right? right. And I think um, that's kind of the picture of where I grew up. But it didn't really start there. The trauma started many years ago in Chicago. A lot of families left the South, especially my grandmother, because her friend was hung on the tree. Right. Because of lynching, a lot of families uh, went from Mississippi to Chicago and, 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 you know, faced a lot of that kind of trauma due to segregation and racism and never had resources for that. And so my mom would explain I lost my mother to her trauma. And my mom went looking for love and on the wrong places. And then, um, and so those, those generations, uh, generational um, issues and uh, structural limitations, I think uh, destroy so much unity um, that was one stare in our community. Right, right, right. 
And that's something that like a lot of people don't really think about is that, uh, you know, if your your loved ones, if your you know, relatives, your parents, your grandparents, if they don't address their issues, it's going to it's going to come back. It's going to continue to come back generation after generation until it's like, you know, it has to there has to be some type of, you know, uh, resolution of some sort. So absolutely. Um, I do have a quick question. Uh, how were you able to navigate living uh, in gang territories yourself while dealing with everything while going to school? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, I was able to honestly, because my brothers were in gangs and uh, my uncle was a gang leader. Um, and, you know, they because of that, I didn't have to, you know, a lot of people join gangs for protection. Like my boy, Al, I remember saying like, dude, why are you fighting all the time? He was like, I've never had a fight because of me. Like when I first moved here, they jumped my brother and they told me, Hey, this stuff is always going to happen unless you have someone who's going to protect you. And when you're going rowing out of town, who's going to protect your little brothers and sisters? We are. So he had to make not a bad decision, but a hard decision um, to to protect his families, right? And so a lot of people who have who have didn't join the gang, it wasn't like I had a choice, you didn't have a choice. Most of the time they had someone kind of looking after them, right? And uh in, in those neighborhoods. And so I think number one, it was that. And um, I think number two, you know, we will always have these speakers come into our come to our school because our high school is one of the most violent high schools around. And they would say things like, I was in a gang or I hurt people, but I changed. Well, I was in prison for this and I changed. Um, I used to shoot up, but I changed. And I remember sitting there like, that's cool that you changed, but where are the people who grew up here and didn't do any of that, right? And I want to learn how to navigate through that. I need that roadmap. And so for me, like, um, with everything getting in me, I wanted to be that person to give that roadmap. And so um, I, I fought hard by just being involved in everything I could be involved in, church, after school programs, rowing, going to the gym, that kind of kept me away from that and kept me busy. Um, and so I think that, again, being able to do a number of those things kind of helped me navigate through uh, the West Side. But I think it goes back to what I was saying at first, it had to be access and opportunities to do something to get me off, get me off the street. <clears throat> so how did that uh, whole high school experience shape you? And what was like some of the experiences you went through being, uh, uh, putting yourself included in all these extracurriculars and dealing with uh, what was all going on in high school? Yeah, man, I think that, um, you know, it shaped me to be, who I am today, I would say that, and when I say me, I also talk about a lot of guys on my team. I'm gonna give you a quick example. Um, the YMCA, and they talk about this in the film, in the barbershop scene, the YMCA that everyone went to, maybe like 150 kids from the neighborhood, everyone would go there. That's what the coaches were, the counselors were, like, like you know, mentors. Um, and it, it closed down because of funding. And so you had 150 kids that had a place to be safe and kind of stay out of trouble there. And then it closed down. Then you have 150 kids out in the street, right? Uh -huh. um, I don't care if you're in a black neighborhood, Asian neighborhood, Latino, white neighborhood. 
if it's 150 kids with nothing to do, some stuff is going to happen. You know what I mean? You're going to find something crazy to do. Uh, uh, and so, you know, and so that's when one of my friends said, hey, man, when that happened, I ran to the streets. Like I, there was these guys there that was making money and they said, I value your first gold chain or I value this. And then Rowan came to our school and then he started rowing. Right. And they kind of left that street life. And so I think like in, in school, you know, we all were like leaders and motivated, even entrepreneurs. But we couldn't didn't have anything to activate that entrepreneurial mindset or that leader within us. And I think that being at, being at a school with all these different after school curriculums kind of shaped us and activated everything that was inside us to come out. And I think um, the question is always, how do you allow the fire inside of you to shine brighter than the fire that happens around you, right? Um, and it's, it is, it's not hard to do if there's not coaches, great teachers, uh, opportunities in place. And so I think uh, having those things in place uh, and, and having coaches and teachers and mentors aggressively come after you uh, to work with you uh, kind of helped shape me and the rest of the guys on my team. Well, I really like that quote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have two questions, actually, Arshay. Okay, so how were you uh, record, uh, recruited on the team uh, for the rowing team? And secondly, uh, did rowing help with you and your teammates' entrepreneurial uh, experiences? And it sounds like you've already answered that, but like, I would love for you to go in further in that. Yeah, man. I, I walked in the lunch room one day and I, I seen this like this boat and I was like, what like what the hell is that? You know, a boat in the lunch room. And uh and this little white lady came up to me and said, Hey, would you want to join the crew team? Like, crew, you know, like you, you know, like in Chicago, anyone asks you to join a crew, turn around, run the other way as fast as you can. And there were so many crews, this white lady started a crew, like, what are you, what are you talking about, woman? <laughs> um, and so behind the boat, they were showing the Olympic games and out and and, and it looked like an opportunity, but no one on the screen looked like me or reflect the world I was used to. So I was like, hell no. You know what I mean? And I kind of walked away and I was like, we don't even swim. Like, like w- w- what is this? You know what I'm saying? Nobody signed up. And then the next day when I went to the gym room, it was a long line of people signing up. And I was like, what? And it was like, hey, sign up. You get free Chicago pizza. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Um, you know, this is crazy. This is a setup. You know what I mean? You know, how guys was like, man, they, those people lunch were like, this is how the white people kill us. You know what I mean? Like, this is how they're going to take us out through the water. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was it was insane. But, you know, it was pizza. And so we went upstairs to the um, info session after school. And uh, I think what really kind of got my attention, uh, number one, was like seeing a black coach. Right. That was there. Uh, Victor, and he was a strength and conditioning coach, didn't quite know rowing, but he knew the community and he knew what it was like to be an athlete, right? And so I think the founder made a good decision on, on that. And I think it showed my parents that, okay, from the South, that we would be protected in this white space where no one looks like us because we have someone who will advocate for us. So the important representation was like key. And then also this woman coach, because women wasn't really coaching boys. I didn't see in the nineties. And, um, and we was, most of us was raised by women. Most of our teachers were women. I felt comfortable with women. Um, and then you had Ken, who was just this awesome dude who was the founder of the team. Uh, so, so the fact that the, the leadership reflected the real world, the full city of Chicago, 
uh, and it wasn't just all white coaches that looked the same or all men uh, helped me uh, to make that decision. Okay, all right, I'm going to try this out. And then it was the the college opportunities. They talked about traveling, right? Um, going downtown. And so um, I think that, um, you know, and I I decided to go for it, you know what I mean? But it it was definitely what I felt comfortable with. And it was definitely the traveling that kind of helped me make the decision. But the cool thing about it is that it wasn't just rowing. um, It was rowing in entrepreneurship. So we had to buy in to the entrepreneurship classes. You know what I mean? Sometimes people start a program in a black neighborhood and they say, hey, let's, let's do this sport and tutoring. But the coach was like, I don't even know if these guys need tutoring. They 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 want to make money. They want to you know uh, start. I feel like we want to teach them how to start businesses and invest in the community and learn about the community and what's needed and resources and you know and all those different things. And and so um, with rowing and entrepreneurship, that was like the two things that uh, worked for us because number one, both teach you how to go after it. Right? It's all about work ethic. It's all about team. Um, and it's all about taking risk and, and, and being a leader. And so uh, both of those things really worked for us. Interesting. Arshe, uh, you'd actually enjoy this. So Jalen and I, we were actually in this entrepreneurship club in middle school. And this is prior to us finding out about rowing. Then later on, we became rowers. So we've always had like this, like, we've always wanted to be like entrepreneurs ourselves. But we also, when we found a sport of rowing, we found the same type of drive that we had in this like club in rowing. So it was really cool. I had no idea that uh, your team had an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial aspect to it as well. That's really cool. Yeah, that was cool, cool, cool. Uh, side note, I have to say that we was at a conference like four years ago. It was the U.S. rowing conference. And I was talking about uh, that story with one of the, the, the coaches from our team. And one guy was like, Cool story, but how many of those guys went on to be Olympic rowers or, or like, you know, he was like, coach was like, what? He was like, tell you, like, more than 90% of those guys are entrepreneurs and own their own company. Like, that was kind of the goal, right? And and we was able to, to, to accomplish that. Very solid, very solid. <laughs> um, so uh, what was your favorite experience on the team? Yeah, man, I, I had a lot. I'll tell you, at first, you know, in the 90s, they carried around boombox, right? And so mm-hmm. we were kind of like, if you saw from the film, we was like, we're not wearing the unis, right? Uh, we're going to have our own style. And, and, and every st- there was different styles coming out all the time. And I think it was the culture that we kind of brought to our city first. Uh, you know, like we, for example, we was like, we're going to wear goggles, right? Because if we, the boat flip, we kind of know where we're going, right? But when we was rowing, we had the goggles on. We had the goggles on our head, and we would crack it. If people who were GDEs in the boat, yeah, from different game, they would cock it to the right, and the other guys that was like vice lords would shake their goggles to the left. And wow. if you look at the Tribune photos that we had, um, that's online somewhere, you see that. And I tell you, it's so funny. Like we, it was for safety, but two weeks later. We show up at the boathouse and all these white kids from the private school who shared the boathouse had <laughs> goggles on their head. No idea. They just had it turned. And we was like, oh, my God. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what's happening here? Um, and so, like, that, that, you know, it was the 90s. We would bring a boombox to the regatta. And I tell you, our first regatta, like, no one, it was like our coaches was building the airplane in the air. Like, there was no blueprint. It, we, they was just doing stuff. Right. And it, they didn't really tell us no rules. And uh, we went to the regatta and there was tents. 
And so whenever there was tents in our neighborhood, it was a festival and it was free food. So we did. So we go and, you know, we got a basketball shorts, like cut off sleeve T-shirts. And, and so these, they also, oh, there's food. So we would go to a tent and we start eating. But these people were looking at us and they, they never said anything. I don't know if they was like scared or, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, the, the poor kids need to eat. And so because they never said nothing, it's like, let's go to the other tent. And so we would go to <laughs> these tents, right, eating food, but no one would say anything. And I think it was either like they were scared or it was like these poor kids need to eat. I don't know what it was, but it took a while for us to realize that, uh, you know, and we didn't have a whole tent. We didn't have no tent at all, you know? So that was hilarious, man. Like, and so I would say, like, we did enjoy laughing. There was some fun things about it. You know what I mean? It, you know, it was new. And some of the guys was like, let's hit on some of these college girls out here. You know, it was, you know, and, but I think when we got, when we received our first loss is when we kind of got serious. We ran into a brick wall. Okay. Yeah, it was bad. And we were like, oh, we, we, we gotta, we gotta get it together. You know what I'm saying? But I think that after that, I think it was more of like the lessons from the sport that really made an impact on our life. Like, number one, leaving the boathouse better than you found it, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I didn't make the mess. I got to leave it better than I found it. And the coach was like, yeah, even if you didn't make the mess, why? Because it makes it easier for the next group to come in. And it's your boathouse. And for me and my team, what that meant is like, how do I leave the classroom? How do I leave my family? How do I leave my community better than I found it? How do I leave this country better than I found it, even if I didn't make the mess? Because it makes it easier for the next generation. Right. Number two, I, Rowan taught me that I can't do the work of eight. But I need eight to do the work and we'll get there much faster, right? Like everything I do, I'm trying to bring together a team. We have to accomplish it together. We have to make it work together, right? And um, and also I think too, like the first time I caught a crab because I was trying to see how many meters I had we had left because I was tired, you know what I mean? And so not letting the small distractions of the crowd destroy your journey and, and where you go. And so there were so many lessons that you learn in the boat uh, that I learned to use in, in my life, like even catching a crab, right? Crabs come to stop you from moving forward, right? And so and sometimes they unexpected, right? And I think in life, I was able to to use the lesson of a crab to understand, okay, number one, situations are like crabs, right? They unexpected. And there's some that you can control and you better like not let it knock you out of the boat, right? Like don't let it ruin your life. Fight like hell to get back in the game. And then there's some that you can't control. And what you have to do, you have to lay back and let that sucker pass, right? And it's like COVID. I can't quite control it, but you know, but let it pass and get back and find time and do what you have to do and keep going at it, right? And so I think what was important for us is how these lessons inside the boat are just as important outside of the boat and how to use those things. Wow, yeah. I also love that one about the analogy with the catching the crab. So when you catch a crab in life, like if you catch a, a obstacle in your life, do you have something in your mind that you keep, uh, keep your motivation going? Or is at this point, is it automatic? Like you always have that drive or yeah, let, let's hear about that. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's, there's a few things that I, I have in my mind. I think it's the, um, I realize like sometimes people who catch crabs a lot of like thinking I better not catch a crab, but people who don't yeah. do well on the earth are thinking, 
I hope I do don't do well. I hope I like don't mess up on the earth, right? And I think the problems we create becomes our reality, right? right? Um, or the fear we create can become our reality. And I think that when you find yourself always thinking what can go wrong, you're gonna end up there. Like my uncle taught me how to ride a bike. And he would say, you know, just get to the other side of the concrete, just stay focused. And every time I looked at the bushes, I ended up in the bushes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you know what I mean? And so it's like stay focused on what lies ahead. So I know and I'm very aware that problems will come. Right. I expect it to come. Right. Um, and and I think it's the positive thinking that helps me to get through it. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, when um, weeds that grow through the concrete, you don't have to water it. You don't have to take care of it. It still grows. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's nasty and it's ugly. And, and, and that's the same thing with doubt and fear and negativity that you don't have to water. It. It's always going to happen. But to have beautiful flowers or roses you kind of have to take care of it water it it has to get sun and things like that and so for positive thoughts you have to work so hard for it to have these beautiful thoughts and to stay focused and remain positive and i water that by constantly like reading books right listening to gary v listening to eric thomas les brown like all these motivational speakers, right? And so mm-hmm. every day, if that's a part of my life, when these obstacles come, they're words. You know, uh, the, these, this is free wisdom that's in the world, mm-hmm. right? And that helps me through some of those things. Uh, but if we don't do that, if we don't water it, the weed's going to grow. Yeah. It's, it's just, and that's the way it's going to work. Mm-hmm. So, and so. Uh, oh. Yes. Sorry. No, you going, Corey? You guys, real quick. I uh, just wanted to know if uh, if there's a book you're reading right now that you could show the audience. Yeah, yeah. Leadership on the line. So that that is a great book. Um, check it out. I mean, I'm reading. I read a ton of leadership books. You know what I mean? I got mm-hmm. Le- Leaders Eat Last. You know what I mean? Uh, Radical Kender. I got a lot of um, great books right uh, there. So you know, it, it just helps you to lead. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very wise. Very wise. Great question, Corey. Uh, so how'd you get into the culinary training? What was culinary training like? And where did it take you in life? And when did you start it? Did you start it after high school? No. And so in high school, they had a culinary program in high school. Okay. And so our high school was like a small trade high school. Mm-hmm. So you can get into like small, the small, within the school, small school of culinary arts, construction, graphics, medical, um and then um i forgot what the the fifth one was um but i was like i'm gonna do culinary because you know we barely have food at home so if we get to cook food and eat it like i'm gonna get the culinary i don't care about it but i was like i get to eat you know right and so we had class like twice a week and i learned it i was just really good at it you know what i mean i i enjoyed it and started doing the competitions by my junior year in high school i started interning uh, at restaurants uh, in high school. And um, and so the dream was to go to Le Cordon Bleu and be some like a celebrity chef. And uh, and so after high school, I dedicated a year of my life to AmeriCorps and I went to co- um, culinary school. And uh, and it was awesome, man. I've, I, you know, I, I worked at some of the best restaurants, but I think the, the dream job I got was right after uh, culinary arts. I heard that the WWE was hiring. 
And so a friend was like, hey, you should go check it out. And I was like, man, there's no way I'm going to get this job. You know what I mean? Like, I'm young, you know, that kind of thing. But I went to the interview anyway, and I kind of just told my story. And two days later, Bobby's got Bobby calls me and say, you have the dream job. And I was like, man, what? Like, how did I get the job? You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, what he said was, because of what you've done as a high school student, interning, working for free when you needed money, when your family needed money, right? The hustle, being part of a non-traditional sport where there was no fame and no popularity because of what you did as a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid is the reason why you have the dream job today. And that's why I always tell young people, what you do now, like what you do today really determine your future. And man, I had a blast working for WWE Wrestling, man. Like hanging out with like Undertaker, who's like Mark, um, you know, Kane, who's Glenn, like all these guys. It was it was awesome, man. Like meeting The Rock and John Cena was like the cool the cool guy on, camp- on campus, right? He was awesome. And so I would, we would go and we would we cook and we travel with those guys every week. And from there, I went to work for Warner Brothers and I moved to New York, started doing the private chef thing. And I think that once I started cooking in high school, I started seeing a lot of kids who grew up like I did. And then that's when I was like, man, these kids need a way, right? And rowing was my way. And I want to go back to the sport. So I started writing on how the sport and how the, the, uh, the sport was my way out. And, uh, and it pushed me back into the sport. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, RJ, I do have a side question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who's a uh, who's who's your favorite uh, WWE wrestler? I got I got loads of. I can name like a thousand right now. <laughs> okay. You know, I I tell you a couple. So, so I you know I really again I really like um, John Cena because he was just cool. He was like grateful. Sometimes people can treat shafts of cooks like nobody. He was just awesome, man. He was like he had a named my food like i made chicken pot pies a chicken pot pie remix like he had all these cool names for things that we made um i tell you he was really um uh good guy was eddie guerrero pastor eddie guerrero yeah he was awesome we had a number of conversations uh about 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 shoes chris benoit who chris you know benoit. yeah yeah um he he would bring his son actually to the to you know all the time wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, to to the fights and uh he was you know he was he was awesome. Uh and some you know there was a couple a-holes, but you know, it was it was all it was it was all good, man. I had a had a had a real good time uh working there. You know, Kurt Angle, that dude used to Kurt eat Angle. Like crazy, you know <laughs> what I mean? Crazy. But uh it was it was great. I remember my first day on the job, I was like, yeah, I'm about to hang out with all these wrestlers. And I, I kid you not, it was a black dude, a security guard. And it was his first day on the job, too. And that's when you had they had the little uh flip phones. And uh it was his first day on the job. And I see Vince McMahon come out with his crew. And the yeah. guy was like, he was like shocked, and I was like shocked, but he was like 10 yards ahead of me, and I see him pull out his phone. And like, if, like, oh, and then the security guy took his phone, like, start stepping on it. It's like, get out of here, you're fired. And I was like, oh, and I was like, I guess I'm not just cool. So I had to keep it cool for like the first month. And then I then they be, slowly became like guys I knew. Cool. So, so, yeah. so thank God that that guy was 10 yards ahead of me. Oh, that would have been me. <laughs> 
that's that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, Corey had one more question from uh, back in high school. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to know um, what was it like from uh, the perspective of your school, your classmates, and uh, your community of a black team? Because, like, when I watched the film, uh, it's funny because uh, a lot of it was very familiar, but one of the things that was the least familiar was seeing four black men putting a boat in the water. So I just want to know what was the reaction uh, with your school classmates and community. Yeah, man. It, I mean, for, the, for some, most of the adults were like, it's great. That's a good thing. It's something new. I mean, the, the, the classmates, man, they made fun of us. Dude. We would be in, in the gym early. I bet. <laughs> and they would make this beat on the lockers and start singing, row, row, row your boat, the hip hop. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, making fun of us. You know, the football coach is like, why y'all not playing football? That's not a real sport. You know what I mean? You know, I had we had like uncles that was like, if you're going to put that much time into the sport, do a ball sport, we can take care of your family and make some money. You know what I mean? It was like, it was hard. Like to be able, I mean, they really talked about us and made fun of us. And to navigate through that and then to be at a boathouse that you share with three white private schools who didn't really speak to you. It wasn't warm and welcoming. Like the decor didn't reflect us, just all white men. Like to navigate through both spaces was like weird. Like we had to really go through it, but we that brought us closer. Uh, but it wasn't until we started getting in the Chicago Tribune that we start like really getting a little bit more uh, competitive and faster. And then the entrepreneurship piece that folks started saying, oh, okay, like they onto something. You know what I mean? And our body started changing. We started taking it serious, right? Like we actually started, we all had summer jobs. We made money. Our maturity changed. And I think that's when people kind of start recognizing like, oh, this might, this might be something uh, cool. But, you know, it's like, it's still one of the forgotten sports, right? Like everyone goes to the football, basketball games, they're not rowing. And that's why I said that, to be honest with people, like, there are no cheerleaders. There are no busloads of fans. There are no pep rallies. There are no million dollar contracts at the college. But what you will find is a group of people who will come out every day and break their backs, rip apart their hands for themselves and the person who sits in front of them and the person who sits behind them with no hidden agenda. And that's the kind of people I needed in my life, right? Mm-hmm. They did not get for the girls. They're not there for money, but for themselves and the guy who sits in front of them. And I think... Uh, that's what separates us from the rest. And I think that's why those friendships last forever. You know what I mean? Right. So um, I definitely have to ask you, how was training 20 years later uh, after formerly rowing in high school? He's dying, man. That erg is no <laughs> joke, bro. You know what I mean? We were like... Oh, it was funny, but you guys saw the movie like Malcolm caught a crab. I was like, we're pushing on 40. Like, what the hell are we doing out here? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, this makes no sense. There's no reason to be pulling this oar. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've been through it already. Uh, it was that's why, you know, we call up the, the Olympic coach Mike Tatey. We was like, we need some serious help, you know what right. I mean? And uh, and it, it is so funny because he was like, come out to the Olympic training center. So we show up with our backpacks, camera crews. And the Olympic team was like, who the hell are these guys? You know what I mean? Like, we're the Olympic team. We never had this, you know, and cameras are following us around. 
And we're nervous because we do not row well. We, you know, we just got back in. It's like week three, week two. And I was like, and so all, so, you know, we get the, we get on the dock and the Olympic team, they all start training to look. And I was like, hey, we have to row in pairs until we get away from everybody. So we don't want them to see how we row. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, 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 it took a while, man. But we, you know, honestly, it wasn't, we, once we started losing the gut and stuff, man, we started finding our rhythm, our stroke. But it was like, in the back of our head, it was like, our parents never seen us race. Some of the guys, like our kids, never seen us race. It's just like this story that everyone knows, but no one ever saw it. We want to give them an opportunity to come out and watch for the first time us do our thing. And we hope to inspire a lot of young people to do the same, but we want to make it cool. You know what I'm saying? And so I think um, uh, it was a lot of hard work, but it was, it was, it was worth it for sure. Uh, so Arshe, what gave you the idea to first uh, to write your first book, Sugar Water? Like, I know you said you were, uh, by that time you were a chef in New York. Uh, what gave you the idea to, to write the book? Yeah, yeah. I have to say, it's awesome talking to young black men who have rode before. But then I've been on certain podcasts and I would say stuff about getting back in training or rowing in pairs or going to a regatta from 10 to 10. And people who don't know rowing, it's like, that's like interviewing. They're like, oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even get the, like it's like speaking a different language bro right. so it's, <laughs> uh, no, but you know I think uh, you know it, it was um, it was once school in the Marcy Projects where JC grew up it was right near, right near the Marcy Projects and a lot of those kids live in the Marcy Projects and I was speaking and this kid I was talking about my mother being a drug her drug addiction and then one kid just started, like tears started dropping on his face. And I kept talking and he, was, and he just started hitting the desk, like interrupting me. And I knew that there was something there, like there was a nerve that, that I had, right? And I was like, hey man, you wanna talk about it? And he like shook his head now. And then I kept talking and he started saying like, oh man, you know, my, my mom's so stupid, my mom's so stupid. And I was like, what's up, you know? And um, no, the. The instructor, after school instructor, told him to leave the classroom. I was like, no, no, it's, it's all good. And I was like, what's up? And he was like, I told my mom that we had to move from here. We, we told her for years, and she was murdered in this building, blah, blah, blah. Sad story, right? And, I, and then another kid, right after him, was like, my uncle was murdered here. So they start telling these stories, right? It became, this, the spirit of storytelling became very contagious in that room. And I was like, man, I can't just like leave these kids, right? Like, and so I started a mentorship group with those kids every Friday. And, you know, and then to myself, I was like, I mean, these kids are in Detroit. These kids are in Cleveland. These kids are in Chicago, everywhere. And I wanted to put this story out in the world in a way that they can understand, like, how do you uh, stay clean? in an environment where this kind of stuff happens, right? I, right? I got the roadmap. Rowan gave me the roadmap and I wanted to share. And I also wanted to give folks who don't know these communities, who's, who goes to the news or the newspaper to read about communities that we grew up in and judge the communities. I want to give them an opportunity to unlearn some of the things that they had learned that these kids were in places like the YMCA, in those places, lose funding all the time, right? 
that um, the talent is everywhere, that our grandmothers face trauma with due to racism, like all this stuff that happens, that happened is a result of Jim Crow laws and people being enslaved and structural limitations and redlinings and all those things. And so that's why I really wanted to uh, put the book out there. And, I, and so I wrote Sugar Water first and I self-published it because I went to eight editors and they all said, no, they was like, did you win? Shall I win national championship? They was like, we don't win. No one wanted to pick up the book. Right. I was like, you know what? Like, they don't get what winning means in our community. For like, people don't understand like what Chicago's been trying to solve for so long. How do you get dudes from different gangs and neighborhoods to become a brotherhood? Rowan was we were able to solve that. That's a win. Traveling an hour and a half, going through all the stuff that you went through with people talking about the sport, and then being in a bow house that felt like an away game and showing up every day. And being committed was a win, right? Over, culturally, overcoming the fear of water because there's no access and learning how to swim was a win. That was all these wins in this story that I think are impactful. I think that's more than winning a medal. Becoming 90% of your team becoming entrepreneurs and hiring people from that communities. Like, I'd rather have that than a medal anytime, right? And so, um, so I decided to put the story out there myself. And then... Um, and that's when uh, people start reading it. People start embracing it. And then it got the attention of Mary Maziel, the film director. And then the, this big publishing company, Macmillan, picked up the book. And so that's how I kind of got to where we are right now. Very cool. That is nice, actually, and quite relatable. Um, <laughs> let me ask you, uh, how, moving outside of rowing, how do you view uh, the media and talent in Chicago today compared to back then? Yeah, you know, I think that um, <laughs> you put me on the spot, man. Um, I think that, you know, the, well, I would say first, like the talent is it's the same. I think the world changed. I remember things back in the days used to be um, by decades. In the 60s, we did this. In the 70s, we did this. In the 80s. And now everything changes like every year, right? And the talent and things are moving so fast that you can't really relate to one specific gifting or talent or style um, like you did in the 90s, 80s, 60s, and 70s, right? Um, but I think everyone is still so talented, but things people are changing with the world. I think when it comes to like, just say talent, like, music or something like that, I, I think things were, I think we're starting to get back, especially after George Floyd was murdered. It was a lot of conscious stuff and like real life, what it was like growing here. And then somehow in the last five years, it was like things change, but we started to get back to people talking about real issues in their music and, and things like that. But I think that um, from where we are now, uh, then to now, when it comes to like media and all that stuff, uh, it's still the same, but now everyone has access to um, give their narrative, right? And and we're you know we're hearing so many different things, but I think that a lot of the roots, um, a lot of the, um, um, a lot I think a lot of a lot of, again a lot is the same. It's just like different outlets, and now we're hearing from more folks. For sure. Arshay, uh, what's your favorite coaching slash mentoring experience? 
thus far? Because you got a lot. I mean, you got a lot of experience already. Yeah, I think um, uh, for me, it's um, and I use this principle at work every day. But I think when I was I was speaking in Harlem, like a, I don't know, three years ago, and it was all young black men, sixth graders, and I asked all of them, "What's your dream?" One by one, and one kid was like, "To eat at Chipotle." Everyone started laughing, you know, and um, and you can tell he was so serious. I mean, when I was young, if Chipotle wasn't around, there was no way we would have been able to afford Chipotle, you know. Right. I got a little money, and I'm still second guessing buying guacamole most times, you know what I mean? <laughs> Three dollars for that, you know what I mean? Um, but um, but it touched my heart when he said that, and. The school counselor, I was like, here's $20. We have to make sure he eats at Chipotle. I said, because if we can eliminate the small dream, there's room for bigger dreams. There's room for more dreams. And my only dream was to go downtown Chicago. I'm already 14, 15, six miles away, never been down there. I just wanted to go down there. And I started rowing. I go downtown. I'm like, oh, crap, this is nice. We got to go out of town, right? Right. Go to Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin for a day trip. I was like, we need an overnight trip. And so every time a dream, a small dream was eliminated, there was room for bigger dreams, right? And so I think the, the mentorship that I've received, that I give, is almost like this sweet 16 bracket. Like, what are the small dreams? And we want to eliminate those dreams until you're living in your mission, in your championship rounds, Right. And, and, and I think um, it, it is really that simple, right? And I think they talk about in, um, you know, one of those world records books that a dude ate a bicycle. I don't know if you guys, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah on Guinness. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He, like, it is like, how do you eat a bicycle? And he like melted the pieces down so they were so small that he was able to eat it, right? And there's big dreams, but if you make it small enough, right, it's easy to eliminate, it's easy to accomplish, it's easier to get it done. Right. And that's what it's all about. And so the mentorship is like focusing on the day by day, the week, the month. Right. And not necessarily is I want to take over the world one day. No, I never thought like, oh, I'm going to introduce 2000 kids to the sport or even more. It's going to be awesome. No, if I can just get this book out, kids will hear it. Right. Now, if it can just become a film, more people can see it. Right. And if they see it, they buy into it, right? And we can raise the money to introduce more Arches to the sport, right? And so that's the kind of mentorship that was perfect for me and that I and we all need to give to others. Very nice, very nice. Mm-hmm. So uh, what what was a, like a choice that uh, defined you today that you will never forget? A regret, mm. my fault, regret. Uh, hold on, I'm sorry, say that again? Yeah, what choice is the choice or... that defined you, the choices that defined you that uh, you'll never regret? Yeah, I think um, that's a great, 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 great question. Um, you know, I think, um, wow, so, <laughs> so many. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be honest on this. I think that... Um, so I talked about the boathouse, right? That we share with three private schools. And we had this, I noticed that things were very different from the way we were treated to the way we were treated. For example, there was a gas station down the street from the boathouse. And for my team, we had to go in one at a time. 
because they thought if you go in a group, they would steal. But those guys were able to go in as a group, right? And there were so many things that were – we acknowledged the privilege that they had and then the, the way people talked to them and then the way people talked to us. And for that, it made me kind of envy them, right, these kids. But they practiced. They showed up. They never personally did anything. They just never spoke. We never spoke to them. And we had a volunteer day on the south side, uh, building a new boathouse on the south side. And, and I think in my head, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go talk to these dudes, you know? And I think, and, and just say, what's up? And I remember walking over there and Josh was like, what's happening? Don't go over, you know what I mean? And start talking. And they were like cool dudes, man. They were real cool dudes, right? And this guy, we became like friends and me and Al would go and play video games. And I remember we got pulled over one time by leaving their house and the cops were like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? And I remember at the boathouse asking them, does this happen to you? And he was like, no. And I realized that really like we're living in a different America, right? Like I passed the constitution test. I do what I have to do. I say the pledge of allegiance to the flag. I go to a baseball game. I sung the national anthem, but still, like they live, like they live in a different. I do all the same things they do, but I am treated differently than them, right? Um, and I think that when I had that uncomfortable conversation with them about that, it changed things for them, right? And I think that in the world today, people say to me, "Arche, like you, man, you going to to start all black teams? That's cool that you start all these." all black teams. And I was like, well, that's not kind of really what I do, right? I just make sure that every team reflects diversity in the city, right? And if a team is all black in the high school, that's what it is. But I think when we start, the world changes when you start interacting with folks, right? Who don't look like you, right? Um, I think that if it's separate, how do we have these conversations? Like you saw in the film, like with um, with with the cops, right? The it's cops, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I was stressing out, like, man, should I do this or should I not do this? But I remember telling the guys, I was like, as a teacher, you will always forget some of your students, but as a student, you never forget your teacher. We have an opportunity to be a teacher. We protest, I protest, but tomorrow morning, they still work on our block, right? And they're still interacting with your teenagers, right? So let's take them to the place where we didn't get along at first, and see what happens. The decision wasn't based on just building bridges. It was based on what we knew, and that was to survive, to keep people safe. That If they learn their names, maybe something happened. But it was really to have an uncomfortable conversation because that didn't happen in protests. And so when we taught them something, when we became the teachers and when we had their ear open, that's when we had conversations like, man, why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did it happen? And we saw that it changed some things, right? And so I think that making a decision to kind of step out of myself and do things that is uncomfortable, we all know as rowers, like the erg is not comfortable. Being in that boat is not comfortable. Anything that you want to accomplish in sports, you have to be courageous and uncomfortable the whole time to get the results. And uncomfortable conversations, right? Uh, and courageous conversations is a start of getting those results, right? And so I think looking back when I was young and having those conversations with them so they can get it and then doing it when I was older so those guys can get it, that, you know, 
about these structural limitations in a community that was built on trauma because of the history of this country. Um, and what I decided to do very differently is that I'm gonna always call people out, but I'm gonna call them in first and then call them out. And I think that making a decision to do that, and it's not an easy thing to do, uh, is something I don't regret doing. Very nice, very nice. Hey, uh, Jalen or uh, Corey, if you guys have any last questions, I'm gonna ask him the, the final question, but if you guys have any last questions, please let them know. Um, yeah, I gotta ask, uh, how was it working with uh, Common, Dwayne Wade and Grant Hill on The Most Beautiful Thing? Oh man, it was uh, it was dope. Well, I, you know, we didn't have a lot of interaction with with Wade. Um, you know, he's busy. You know, uh, but you know, I think first of all, working with Common was like he's a Chicago hero. You know, mm -hmm. and I met him in a studio when he was doing the vo voiceover, and he was like so interesting. Like, was Manly really like that? Like, what's happening in the neighborhood? Blah blah blah. And that's it. He was so invested in the project, and it was cool because. He was like, man, like the water is so beautiful. The way y'all explain it, the way it brung hope and peace and the change. And he was like, man, that is just. And I was like, oh, man, you should get on the water with us. And he was like, I don't do the water, man. I don't do the water. You know what I mean? I was like, dude, you was taking me there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know what I mean? And I'll say Grant Hill has been like the number one, like he's been the number one supporter, man. He shows up, he chats. I mean, like to be a kid growing up in the nineties and then having Grant Hill's phone number, you know, what I mean? they'd, be, they'd, be, yeah. they'd be like, Hey Grant, check this out. You know what I mean? Like that's crazy. You know what I mean? Who said Rowan don't make dreams come true? So, you know, I mean, like it, it, it opens doors, man. And so um, it was, it, it was great hanging out with those guys. And also like the Winklevoss twins were really good uh, producers and, you know, good guys and great guys and stuff like that. And so uh, it was definitely fun putting this project together. Very nice, very nice. Corey? Yeah. Uh, how is it being a Black leader in the rowing community today? Yeah, man. It's, um, I'll tell you what's rough about it. Um, what's rough, I'll tell you what's rough, what's good about it. The, I think the tough thing is that um, you get, um, you well, it's good and, good and bad, I guess. Um I get so many messages from young black men, older black men, and say, hey, man, I knew what it was like to grow up um, and trying to try out the sport and stand in white spaces and not feel accepted. Um, but you made me want to do it. You give me the courage to do it, right, and try something new. And, and it's, it's awesome to be able to have kids that you spoke in a school four or five years ago and say I'm rowing at Cal or I'm rowing at Penn or I'm at UW, and I'm like it's insane. And I think at the same time, um, like where Xavier worked from Dallas, there's Ava, Caroline. I spoke at their school years ago, and they row and they get a row in college, right? Like right. that's like a lot of joy. The tough part is that I get at least twice a month a person of color who row at a boathouse where they're either the only or maybe a couple and the racism that they have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. From even their coaches, right? And um, so it's like, I'm recruiting them to this great sport, but it's not a joyous environment for them. You know what I mean? And it's like, gosh. And so there's a lot of black athletes who quit on the college level, I learned. 
uh, and a lot of Black kids who play on the high school level. It's not because of swimming, money, transportation, and all these barriers that people mention. Most of it is because of culture. Culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, some culture issues. And folks don't want to change their ways. And they don't want to unlearn, you know what I mean? And so I think that um, with that comes a lot of responsibility, right? To be able to call people out. And, uh, and like I said, I give them an opportunity to call them in. And if that ain't working, you're being called out. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, and so again, it's, it's great being a leader and, and seeing that all the things we accomplished, but there's still so much work to do. And we need more young people like you guys who've been part of the sport that says it's Rowan teaches you to act beyond yourself and, and, and everything we learn and we have to go through to give it back to those who are going through it because um, we need more representation um, on the Olympic and national team level. The history of sports tells us that no sport has totally reached its goal without the power of representation, right? right. And the only way we're going to be able to do that, so our talent can stick through high school and I mean, through college and it's getting diverse on the high school level, but on the national team level is that we got to uh, really shift our energy on uh, working on the culture of, of the sport. I know one thing for me, that was probably a barrier, like to be on that, like, you know, junior national level, all that is the camps, like the summer camps. So those costs were like astronomical, astronomical. You get, you get what I'm saying that those used to be like, Oh yeah, like I got the earth scores. I got, you know, I got whatever, you know, physically, you know, that was probably a big thing for me. But that's just a side thing. But yeah, no, uh, that's true. And we worked on it. You know, like last year there was 80 people at the um uh, color at, at those camps because that yeah. was enough. And we started, you know, and um yeah, the, the price is ridiculous, you know. And so and that's why we started the fund, right? To be able to help support those things. And that is uh, actually uh, the transition to the last question, Arche. Uh, tell us about the most beautiful thing, Inclusion Fund. Yeah, you know, it's there's so many programs out there. I mean, you guys probably was a part of the program. I was part of the program. The problem for me with those programs is, and I say it's a problem because it started, it starts with good people who say, I want to do something. I want to expand and give access to rowing to people of color. The problem that I see in in these organizations, the same problem I see in this country with people of color. You are given less and expect to perform in the same manner as everyone else, right? Some people will look at those clubs, oh, it's a nice club, but they're not fast. It's not that they're not fast because they're not talented. They're given the oldest boats that anyone can find, the most novice coaches, less days to practice. You can't go to any of the camps that everyone else is going to, Right. And you expect them to perform in the same manner as everyone else. And so for me, I wanted to solve with this fund, we're not just start, we're not starting programs. We are supporting programs that exist to have mostly people of color. And we're gonna solve the equity issue, right? We're gonna give them new boats. Uh, they're all gonna get a speed coach um, uh, training, make sure they have Mike Tatey and other coaches working with them. They're going to get more ERGs. They're going to get money towards academic support and the best ACT prep they can find towards out-of-town regattas, right? And they get a, and we, we pay for a coach of color because their representation is so important. So everything I felt like we was missing, we want to address, right? Equity says, I mean, equality says everyone rolls, and that's the mentality everyone had. But it, there was no equity in that. And so equity is like, 
we're going to get, we understand that certain bow houses are, have different circumstances and we're going to level the playing field so they can have all the tools they want so they can properly compete with everyone else. So equity is about results. You know what I mean? And so that's what we use the fund to do is to, is, is to solve some of those issues in some of the existing bow houses, right? And, and they have access to talk to coaches and it's not like a check in a box. We need kids of color here, blah, blah, blah. Like that's kind of why we decided to put this fund out there um, to, to, to work on those specific things. Very nice, very nice. So Arisha, uh, our team uh, is the, is it one out of two public school teams uh, in the state of Ohio? And uh, I think it might we, have been one. I think nowadays it is one. I think the other public school turned into a club. But uh, we had no funding. We The best boat we had was from 89. And <laughs> it was, you know, 2014, 2015. So, yeah, like that changes the game. Because when I got to college, that was the first time I ever been in a Hudson. That's the first time I ever been in like a boat that was passed, you know, the year of like 2012 or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. And uh, yeah, I mean, that makes a huge impact. And uh, yeah, it, it does provide equity within the within the sport. So yeah, man, like how do you like expect kids to win? You know, they take a stroke and then, you know, they run with the riggers in the water too. <laughs> right. you know I mean? Like, come on, man, are you serious, bro? Like look at the change on this co- on this concept too, man. It's like not even steady, bro. Like you know, and- this coach, this coach, don't he, you know, he's young, he's nice. You know, he knows basketball, but this he just graduated college, you know. Not to say nothing wrong with that, but, like, yeah. these guys' coaches are Olympic coaches. Like, come on, man, solve the equity issue. Stop messing around with us, man. And and so another crazy part of that, the clubs that we, like, had in our house, they all – every year they get brand-new boats. And we would just be like, oh – that. Oh, that's so nice. That's so nice. Oh, you got and then like they would just get rid of the other boats. We don't know where the other boats are, man. It just oh man. Yeah, man. It's crazy out here. So um, yeah, that's that's what that's what it's all about. <laughs> all right, Shay. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh you guys any have, have any last questions? Because uh, I'm gonna give him his plug opportunity to plug whatever he needs to. Uh, I'll go ahead and ask um What's like some uh, some things you had to stress uh, to be represented in the movie, and anything that you had to fight for, like any messages or any uh, and things you just really, really wanted to be in the movie or get your uh, point across to like the audience. Yeah, you know, I think Mary was was awesome with actually everything I asked her to do. Like, hey, let's put this in here. Let's let's do it. At first, it was just um, let's just tell these young men's story, and we were like, no, no. I think one of the most important things was. Um, this we had so many coaches, right? And it was more white coaches. Um, but to me, like people already hear from coaches in this sport. Let's limit the time of coaches and let's bring the moms in. Let's hear from the moms, the mothers of these kids. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. had to navigate through their space and white space, right? I think that was something that I thought was was key and awesome, and the importance of um these black fathers teaching their black kids how to row, like the importance of that, right? And so those are some of the things that wasn't quite there yet that, you know, we advocated for and, and um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was awesome, right? To, 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 um, to put in, put that, put that into play. 
Right. Um, uh, I have to ask, do you and your original teammates still talk to this day? Yeah, man. We talk all the time. We, we hang out, we chill. We, we um, yeah, man, we, we're close. I think, you know, there's, we first started, right? Again, like I said, we didn't get along, right? There's another group of guys that, you know, we cool with, but wasn't too close with. But I think that those guys that you saw in the boat and in the movie, we're, we're, we we just had a Zoom like last week. Like we, we're always chatting. Um, yeah, we, we're, we're pretty tight. Hey, Arshe, you got any shout outs? You want to shout out the family? You want to shout out whatever? You got anything coming up? What would you like to shout out? What's man, your plug? Just, yeah, man. Just shout out to the ABTIF, um, the fun. Shout out to the Black Olympians. We only have five, right? Anita and Kill and David and Alex and Patricia that uh, that's on my committee and um, always shouting them out. Hopefully 2028 in LA, we can get more out there representing. Um, Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Shout out to Chicago, my city. Shout out to you guys. Shout out to the Bulls, who's number two, number one with Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, I mean, so Cleveland right shout- behind there. Cleveland right behind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out to them, man. So, uh, no, man, that's 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 pretty much it. Um, you know, if you haven't read the book, read the book. It's a lot more details than what you will see in the film. And, um, you know, if you haven't watched the movie, Amazon Prime, check it out. Um, so peace, follow me on Insta, uh, and, uh, we'll catch up soon. Hey, thanks. Thanks for yes, your time. Thank you. Thank you we so appreciate much. it. Appreciate it, man. It's been what's out. Oh, were you going to say something? No, no, no. Oh, it's been what's out and peace out. We out. <laughs>